The Graduate Center of the City University of New York presents Academically Speaking, an audio mini-series about the dissertation process, from planning and writing all the way to the defense, as told by Graduate Center students and faculty. This episode, we're joined by critical psychology student Devin Hayward and her advisor, Michelle Fine. My name is Devin Hayward. I am a doctoral candidate in critical social personality psychology uh, here at the Graduate Center. Uh, my dissertation is about racial becoming, so how identity, racial identity changes over time and how people use positive events uh, to sort of change um, and influence their identity processes. I'm Michelle Fine. I teach here in critical social personality psychology. I also teach in urban ed and women's studies, and I'm one of the founders of the Public Science Project. Our, our program is called Critical Social Personality Psychology. Critical psychology has long roots in both um, uh, the Frankfurt School and in Latin, uh, Central and Latin America liberation theology. Um, and while critical psychology is um, practiced, if on our wall is a, a sketch of Ignacio Martín Baró, who was an El Salvadorian priest and a social psychologist, who was a liberation psychologist working in El Salvador, who was interested in psychology for and by the people. Um, so that's the kind of ethical spirit and theoretical spirit we bring to the work. We are the only explicitly critical psychology program in the country. Um, although there are lots of critical psychology programs in Central and South America, South Africa, um, in Germany, in the UK, but the United States psychology tends to be a relatively positivist, um, narrow focus on variables, brains, neurons, people. Um, and for us, lives are situated in socio-political history and context. Um, people are shaped by history, but people also shape history. So I kind of stumbled upon the topic, uh, maybe my second year, um, but I didn't know that it would become my dissertation until after I did my second doc. Um, so that was like around my fourth, fourth or fifth year in the program. Uh, but basically, uh, one of my friend's uh, colleagues, he does work on genetic testing and he works specifically with young kids. And so he asks, uh, he has these kids take these DNA tests, these uh, genetic ancestry tests um, that traces their ancestry back to a specific place in Africa. And as part of the work that they do, they also do uh, theater. And so they're building these pieces over a course of nine weeks. Uh, they get their DNA results and they're just talking about, you know, what was the uh, what was your experience the first time you recalled the N-word? Um, what was your experience when you realized you were black? How do you interpret those events? And so um, my uh, friend and I had always been talking about it and like trying to figure out ways to work together and it sort of just coalesced at one point where I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I really want to talk about how people are taking this information and internalizing it, using it to actually, you know, rather than just going to some generic place on the continent like Ghana or Nigeria, but actually going back to, let's say, Sierra Leone and finding out 
more about their histories, more about their cultures. Um, and so it sort of developed as this little seed and then grew into a much bigger, much more dynamic project. And, and what's kind of beautiful, I think, about the way that Devin and I work together is she has another primary advisor, mm -hmm. uh, Tamara Buckley, who's on the faculty at Hunter College. And so Tamara, uh, Tamara and I kind of co-advise Devin, um, but Devin and I have cooked up a bunch of side projects. And at one point I was asked, uh, to recommend students to submit essays to a journal, for instance, and I was so uh, taken by the intellectual and political strength of her dissertation that I asked her if she would write an essay for this journal called Compass, and I think in some ways we really got to do kind of synchronized swimming on yeah. that one, <laughs> yes. um, with lots of drafts, and, um, and the ideas really grew, her ideas. I'm just like the doula or the midwife <laughs> for someone like um, Devin, but I think it worked really beautifully. Yeah. And so I feel honored to share the advising um, with Devin. This is not a program where advisors own students. Mm -hmm. um, students won't work with multiple people, but it's often the case that I'd say to students in other programs, who's your advisor? And they say, I'm not at my dissertation yet. Nobody in our program would say that. From the beginning, people have at least one and often two people that they're working pretty closely with. But we recruit students and engage students to be part of an intellectual, ethical, and political community, not because anybody's going to be a short version of me. Seth, would you agree with I that? I agree 100%. Um, one of the things that when I first came into the program that it was re that really drew me to it uh, was the fact that we weren't set with one advisor, that there were opportunities to work with multiple faculty. Like I've worked with Brett Stout, who's in environmental psychology on a few projects. Um, and that's in part because, uh, you know, our advisors are flexible and they understand and they give us opportunities to sort of explore those different fields. Um, and one of the things that I remember hearing from another student was that, you know, we're polyamorous here. There's no real commitment to just one advisor. We have the opportunity to explore and to still be committed to whoever our primary advisor is. I think we're really unusual. <laughs> um, the faculty are, are, you know, we each bring a different kind of gift and the students are so gifted that the idea of working with multiple people, we just don't believe in intellectual monogamy. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't seem good for the student or the faculty member. And um, it's also the case that students craft their own work and we then serve their work. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't begin knowing a lot about DNA testing or racial becoming, but through Devin's work, I've learned an enormous amount. And, you know, surely she's taking from me and Tamara and Bill Cross, who's emeritus, who also works with Tamara, uh, with mm -hmm. Devin, but yeah, no, it's it's really unusual. It's like an, uh, an old-fashioned notion of an intellectual community. I had to look at some of the uh, past students' work just to sort of get an idea of like, what are the possibilities? Um, I've sat in on a few different dissertations just to get a, an essence of like, oh, this is what people do, this is what's possible. Um, and I found that for myself that I knew that I couldn't do a traditional 
uh, you know, post the survey online, have people fill out the survey. Like it just, it never felt quite organic for me. Um, and so what I decided to do uh, in part was to look at some work that I've asked my undergraduate students to do concerning their process um, of developing their racial identities. Um, and so these are racial identity autobiographies, which really taps into critical pedagogy, it taps into liberation psychology, it's bringing in those histories that don't oftentimes get brought into traditional psychology. Um, and then I also am using arts and education, which is also a form of critical pedagogy. It's also a form of critical theater. Um, and so these things have always been sort of brewing underneath the surface. Um, and once I sort of started carving it out, it became clear that these are the methodologies that I want to use. We also have a, a seminar, um, sometimes we call it free spaces mm -hmm. or a second. So everybody who's kind of at Devin's level is bringing work and it's a very vulnerable space. I don't know that I would have had the courage to participate when I was in graduate school and I teach it. <laughs> Um, and people bring work, really work in progress, and are very generous with each other. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the carving happens there. Yeah. And then sometimes we have like great conversations like about how do you write? And some people like cook it, and when they write it, it like the first draft is the last draft. But that might take 18 months. I'm a like, I vomit it up and then I do 18 drafts. So I'm also done at 18 months, but I've gone through a lot of paper. Sarah Carney, who now teaches at Wesleyan, she said that when she writes, she puts her main ideas on popsicle sticks and moves them around to get different kinds of architecture. So actually getting explicit about anxieties, about form, about style, feels really, really important. You know, it's kind of like putting your brain on an MRI. That's what it feels like, I think, that, you know, it's such a high stakes assessment when in fact, as a faculty member, that's not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, how do I scaffold you to be the best version of yourself? Um, but I think it's, it's a high anxiety prospect. All that to say, I think one of the things is to be realistic. Um, that there are opportunities to publish smaller pieces, maybe after the dissertation, you know, keep notes about things that you're, um, you're interested in exploring for a later time because, you know, they're, you should want to move forward and like get things accomplished. Um, and I also think that it's important to continue talking to people outside of your discipline um, and also talking to people at different stages of the process um, because I think that it's very easy to get isolated once you get to the dissertation phase like you're no longer taking classes you're probably primarily teaching or whatever it is that you do and so it can you can easily cut yourself off from other conversations um, that are happening so uh, my connections to students who are a few years younger than me has really helped me to think about other conversations about hybridity that I hadn't necessarily considered as being part of my dissertation. Um, so I think it's important to stay connected as you're going through this process. This has been Academically Speaking, presented by the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Subscribe on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, visit us on the web at gc.cuny.edu slash podcast.